Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. What you need very often is an ability to communicate with all different stakeholders and gain their confidence. And you can only do that by establishing those relationships. And your technical knowledge is going to be appreciated by some, not all, Others are going to be a little more concerned as to whether you're going to be the one who can help put a vision forward and help the company to grow. Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. It can be difficult as a CPA to explain your value to your clients. And with the industry headed toward advisory services and fractional CFO roles, being able to explain your value is essential to you being able to command respectable fees. But many CPAs aren't taught how to tell the story that business owners need to hear. And they can sometimes be dismissed as merely the bean counter. Here today to talk with me about what CFOs have learned from their experiences in finance and tax is my guest, Jack Sweeney. Jack is the host and creator of the CFO Thought Leader podcast, where he has interviewed almost 700 CFOs about their roles. He's also the winner of the 2018 Excellence in Financial Journalism Award by the New York State Society of CPAs. A career business journalist, Jack is the former editor-in-chief of Business Finance Magazine and the founding editor and former editor-in-chief of Consulting Magazine. Jack Sweeney, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Geraldine, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. You've had the good fortune to interview countless CFOs. After hundreds of conversations, what are the patterns that you see emerging that are important for CPAs to understand? Well, what I would tell you is this. Now, there are multiple paths to the CFO office. And I might have shared with you uh, before we began talking that I always begin with the same question on any one of my interviews. And that is, is tell us about those experiences you feel prepared you to be a finance leader. And very often, a finance leader will mention that they were a CPA or attempt to tell us, oh, you know, I studied this, I got, I got my, you know, certification. But it stops there. There's no great story, very often anyway, there's very often not a great story attached to a CPA milestone. So I, I have for years kept my antennae up and it's troubled me somewhat and I'm getting away from your question, but there are multiple paths 
to a fine uh, to the finance leadership role. One of which is the CPA, accounting, fractional CFO, CFO. But there are others, and what I find from time to time is that the CPA gets cut off on the path by others. And what do they have in common? One commonality between those who continue down the path and those that get stopped is that they're better storytellers. The ones going down the path are better storytellers. How's that? (laughs) Am I delivering something there? Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about the storytelling because storytelling at the right level can be a tricky thing to do to try and talk to your client in ways that are at the level that they can understand in ways that make sense to them. Because one of the, one of the roles, one of the jobs of the CPA headed into advisory services, fractional CFO is to interpret the numbers for their business owning clients and to help the business owner understand the story of what's happening in the finance of the businesses. So for the CFOs that you talk to, what kinds of stories are they telling? There are some great stories, but they, they come later, uh, sort of in their careers often, which I think is a, is a terrible shame. And, you know, when I knew I was coming on with you, I was like, well, let me come up with a, a story that I thought was a good CPA milestone or accounting milestone to share with your audience. And I had to go back actually a number of years to find one, which says something, uh, but it was shared by uh, Carol Lowe, who is today CFO of Fleur Systems, which is a fairly large uh, company. I believe it's Fortune 500. It might not be. At the time, she was CFO of Sealed Air Corporation, uh, which is a very large corporation. But um, she began to share with us that way back when, her first job out of college, she was hired by Ernst & Young. She became an audit manager rather quickly. And she talks about this life where she's going from audit client to audit client. She's young. She's enjoying the travel. She's enjoying meeting with so many different clients and businesses. So she relates how after a long day of doing testing on different transactions for a client up near Boston and Massachusetts, she goes back to her hotel room and picks up the local newspaper where she discovers a for sale advertisement for the very office building she had just spent the day visiting and it was placed on behalf of her client who was the owner of the property. Now, she says no member of the management team had mentioned the sale of the property, which she said it quickly became a red flag. And what she said was, she said when she realized that we were not asking some very basic questions about the future of this business, we were not asking the management the right questions, it made a big difference as far as how we looked at that business Uh, and where we needed to focus our efforts. So she realized so much of what they had done. Obviously, they weren't asking the right questions. And she boiled it down this way. If an audit simply meant that she go down a checklist to make certain transactions were being properly recorded, she wasn't doing her job or meeting the client's needs because it wasn't risk-based. Anyway, it was just a great little aha moment that she shared with us 
But since she told us about going back to a hotel room, picking up a newspaper, the storytelling elements really engaged, engaged me. I remembered it. I went back and tried to find the story. But anyway, that's an example. So being able to tell a story and synthesize numbers is really important for business owners, for the clients of CPAs. How are CFOs who are in these top level roles acquiring this skill of being able to storytell, synthesize numbers, help business owners understand what's happening with the health of their business? Yeah, that is, uh, many of them uh, will tell us, by the way, that it's communication skills uh, that they're looking to acquire. And there are a variety of ways of doing it. In general, they'll join a a Toastmasters where public speaking and what have you uh, is practiced. And there are different exercises you can do at those meetings, which I I think uh, COVID is is probably undermined along with so many other uh, in-person gatherings that we used to be able to take advantage of. So that's available everywhere across the country. And I'm just emphasizing it because it's mentioned all the time. You mean all the time by your your podcast guests? Uh, by podcast guests. And it, really? it perhaps it was earlier in their careers. Again, CFOs will uh, have their own coaches today as we're well enough. And quite a few uh, more senior executives will uh, hire executive coaches to work with. And communications, I think, is one of the primary areas they'll zero in on uh, with a lot of um, senior executives. Let's think about this a, a little more. Participating in conferences is another uh, place uh, finance leaders acquire their communication skills. Um, Roundtable events, networking. Uh, again, you know, we all go to events and different conferences. I think we learn how to connect with each other by sharing. And that's exactly um, similar to what we're doing here. I, I'm thinking about uh, the people out there, your listeners, and trying to understand better what would be of value to them. And with the notion that they go to finance conferences, how they introduce themselves and greet others is important to understand. You must share experiences about your past to establish what you have in common with others. And uh, I've gone to finance conferences and I've gone to HR conferences. HR conferences are by far more social. People know how to reach out more. Go to a sales conference if you really want to enjoy yourself. Uh, but these skills, you know, having a point of comparison is really very interesting. Um, and, and finance people can be very uh, tight-lipped and rather uh, conservative about what's being shared and what's not being shared. Uh, so to become, you know, tap the, uh, the uh, extrovert uh, qualities within your character and bring those out, it begins there. Interesting. So... I mean, what I'm hearing you say is a key component of having access to the empty shoes of a CFO and being able to step into that role is not first and foremost, not first and foremost, financial expertise. It's ability to communicate, which is kind of a startling finding because I think that people may be looking under the wrong stones for their career advancement. You know what the the expression is, table stakes. Uh, Your accounting and technical knowledge are table stakes. To uh, advance into a CFO office or a very senior role, what you need uh, very often is an ability to communicate with all different stakeholders. 
and uh, gain their confidence. And you can only do that by establishing those relationships. Um, and your technical knowledge is going to be appreciated by some, not all. Others are going to be a little more concerned as to whether you're going to be the one who can help put a vision forward and help the company to grow. How are you going to help this company grow? And you better be prepared uh, to, to go down that path. I'd like to, uh, and I don't know, I, I might've mentioned this to you earlier. The, uh, the phrase I like to uh, think about is thought leadership. You know, we all read great books, whether it's Jim Collins, Good to Great, or uh, Patrick Lancioni's uh, Seven Dysfunctions of a Team, what have you. That's very popular with finance people today in part because it's some of the learnings that they don't get from their traditional education and their traditional experiences. That thought leadership is very similar to what we're talking about here. And again, it's about your professional narrative, opening the doors to opportunities and thinking about how to relate it to others. One of the things, this is actually in your signature, in your email signature, And I've also heard this when I listen to your podcast is a common thread. You ask at the end of your show, what things have you learned or what would you do differently? And what I often hear is I would stop talking and I would start listening. And this is what's in the email in your signature, right? The future of finance is listening. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what I I would tell you that uh, to be honest, I think CPAs, I think accounting folks are wonderful listeners because, and, and it's sort of the flip side of what we're talking about here, isn't we're trying to get them to be more extroverts, to share more. And that's the communication, that outgoing communication. They want to get that next level to that next tier. They have to let more people know how smart they are and let different experiences resonate with them. But the fact is one of the qualities that so many CFOs have is that they are great listeners. And, and again, I think that's more that in the CPA's DNA. Um, so many of them will, will mention it at the end, or I have to listen better or because that's just ingrained in them. They are, they are just terrific listeners and to their credit, um, it's a characteristic that and discipline, of course, and to uh, acquire accounting knowledge takes a great, good amount of, of discipline. And I'm fascinated uh, by these two uh, being great listeners and being very disciplined uh, and, and usually thoughtful about where they want to be in the next five years. They're planners. They're planners. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a, there's a tension there between being a great listener and sometimes zipping it and not just talking to show how much you know, but also finding the right opportunity to show what you know, perhaps through a better story rather than lots of technical detail. And, and you know what? It, it's uh, CFOs are also so guarded. Finance people are mm-hmm. very guarded. Yeah. Look at that because they're accustomed to uh, calls with investors or calls with shareholders or analysts, and every word's going to be picked apart. So what does that do to a, a person? They're not going to be the expressive leader. That's the CEO. The CEO gets to share the big vision often. But you know what? CFOs have to play. Their role has broadened as we keep on going to industry conferences and hearing the changing role of the CFO. The same thing goes with their accounting people. And in this land of AI, this new world of AI, 
you really need to begin to articulate the value that you bring as an individual professional uh, much more clearly and in more interesting ways. And unlike me, you want to say it in far fewer words. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a historian, right? Love to tell stories. Love to, love to dwell on them, but yeah. <laughs> Let's dig into the piece around being able to synthesize a story at different levels for or different altitudes for different audiences, because some people may hear that and go, wait, what? What are you even talking about? So when you say that, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And it, it's really two, two, uh, two areas, I think, when... Uh, one is, and I refer to it as reading the room. Well, who's sitting around the table when you're going to share? Clearly, um, if they're not all uh, accountants, uh, but some are representing marketing or sales or what have you, you have a broader audience. So what you're going to share, how do you capture the attention of all of them or engage all of them? And you have to vary. Do I want to be thought of as the accounting expert here and then share something that only maybe two people around the table are going to digest or would I rather have a broader impact during this meeting? How do I do that? And how do I do that without speaking too long? I mean, this is, this is very challenging to do. And then there's the, uh, you got to tailor your professional narrative for different uh, time sequences. I'm going to have an elevator ride <laughs> with that, uh, senior finance executive, I'd like to engage on a certain topic. What do you tell them about themselves? What do you share? You should know before you get on the elevator. What You only have 30 seconds to share something. What would it be? Again, you're tailoring your professional narrative to a time sequence or an audience. If you're going to sit down and you only have two minutes to talk about yourself. What would you share? If you've got 15 minutes, you would share something else. But you should know what are the highlights and, and be able to read the audience. And again, I think, um, Geraldine, I had mentioned one of uh, the CFOs who uh, we had on recently, and I'll just mention um, his name was uh, Ross Tannenbaum. And he was a Wall Street executive for years. And he finally stepped into a CFO role at a company called Avalara. And, you know, I, I was pressing him. I was saying, what is it that you feel all those years on Wall Street and those investment banking companies, what did you take away from that experience? What is it? And he, he put it, um, I, I thought he did a nice job. He said, I learned how to synthesize a story that can be shared at the right altitude to various audiences. And this helps people understand information better and aim, enabling them to make better decisions. And that's it. That's the crux of it. He, he figured out how to do that. And again, why is the Wall Street, and, and I always point this out, people coming from Wall Street are really good at storytelling, people coming from corporate development backgrounds. And very often it has to do with they They've been in those meetings. They've been seated at those private tables of C-suite executives, listening to how the visionary storytelling works, where this company is headed, how growth happens. So they're exposed to it much more, and they begin thinking about how to, how to articulate things differently. So I, I just thought his comments really boiled things down nicely. And that's what we have to have CPAs do more of. So one pattern that's emerging in this conversation is proactive versus reactive. And you talk about oftentimes the finance people, the finance people are guarded or I see them holding their cards quite 
closely to their chest. And fair enough, they hold a lot of sensitive information, right? And discretion is a valuable skill in knowing what can be shared when, what cannot and shouldn't be shared when. Nonetheless, there's an element in the profession of waiting of on your heels and waiting to be asked for something and only spoken when, or only providing answers when being asked a question of and not elaborating. And this drives me crazy with my, <laughs> this, this drove me crazy with my own accountant and CPA when I um, ran my business and was in the finance role is that I just felt like I had to pull teeth to get information. There's that element of it, but I hear you also talking about being proactive in terms of thinking about how you're going to get in front of the right people and when you're in front of the right people, what you're going to say. How does a person shift out of this sort of reactive wait until I'm asked or told into a, I'm going to go out and get mindset? Yeah. And you're talking about what is what is really a tightrope walk sometimes. Very, very tricky. And yeah. uh, this, uh, as you mature in any role or uh, in your career, you acquire a set of instincts uh, as to when is the right time or the wrong time to introduce something. Um, and again, it goes back to reading the room correctly, understanding who the stakeholders are. Um, but say there's a, a critical piece of information that you think a discussion is just not addressing. And again, it's, it's a question of timing. It, it might be drawing attention to the area, not just spilling what you, uh, <laughs> what your own opinion on, on it might be, but yeah, it takes a little finesse and a little smarts. And sometimes it's political smarts within the corporate environment. What I'm hearing overall in this conversation is that the difference between the, the stride, if you will, between CPA and CFO has little to do with technical and has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. We've talked about political, we've talked about instincts, communication, timing, read the room, finesse. That's all emotional intelligence. That is not how great are you at double balance, declining, whatever it is. It's the EQ. No, you're nailing it right there. It's, it's the EQ, not the IQ. And uh, it's, a, it's a very difficult change to make. And again, the, think of those Wall Street executives who have all that exposure as they come up. Think of what Ross Tannenbaum, when I really pressed back on him, what is it that you walked away with? Storytelling ability. That's what I walked away with. Interesting, right? I mean, there's so many big deals he was involved with. There's so much storytelling ability. So how do uh, CPAs and accounting executives acquire those skills? And it's by becoming uh, socialized more in, at conferences, at roundtables, at gatherings, thinking about what they're going to share, what they don't want to share. And similar to, again, what Carol Lowe shared with us, again, did not mention the client's name, didn't even mention the industry, but she, she shared a story where she went back to her after a long day's work hotel room and picked up a newspaper. And again, I'm completely, all the listeners are latching on. Little stories that are shared during the cocktail hour like that um, makes you remember people. That was a, you know, a wonderful way to engage someone. Did we think Carol was competent? Oh, we, we thought she was quite competent. You mentioned before we hit the record button about the Peter Drucker curse. 
which you argue is responsible for curtailing CPAs from entering the C-suite. Can you explain that for us? <laughs> yeah, this is something I've, I've uh, blogged about over the years, and it kind of intersects both my worlds, uh, which was, you mentioned up front, I was editor of a consulting magazine and editor of a finance magazine, and consulting came first. So back in 2005, Peter Drucker, of course, the management thinker we all know, he dies at the age of 96. And I wrote a cover feature on him, which really allowed me to take a deep dive and try to understand better you know, his contribution to business, which was enormous, no question. Now, uh, we've been talking about thought leadership, and I, I would argue modern day business books, whether they be Good to Great by Jim Collins or the other one I mentioned, Dysfunctions of the Team, they're, they're in Drucker's debt, or more specifically, Drucker's concept of the corporation, which is the book Drucker wrote after being invited into General Motors back in the 1940s. He was invited in to take a look around. Now, what's not generally known is that that invitation did not come from the CEO, Alfred Sloan, who's probably one of the most famous CEOs of the 20th century, but from the CFO, Donaldson Brown. Now, Brown, Brown is quite a uh, famous finance executive. He actually uh, is credited with formulating the ROI formula, and he was at DuPont before he comes to GM in the 1920s. I just mentioned that because he's, he's quite renowned. He convinces Sloan that they should sort of educate the world all about what GM had achieved from 1925 to 1945, which was quite a bit. This whole corporation grew up around them. And uh, part of what they achieved was really an elaborate collaboration between finance and management practices. However, Drucker's book really only told half the story. Drucker exposes and dwells on Sloan's management practices, but he pretty much ignores finance and the role it played in the rise of General Motors. In effect, he marginalizes finance to better expose the genius of Sloan, which no one's going to argue his management practices really are what get translated and transferred across the globe following the publication of this book by Drucker. Now, Drucker's next book is called The Practice of Management. It might surprise people to learn that management wasn't even something people studied before, people, uh, before Peter Drucker. But Peter Drucker learned what he did at GM and from Sloan. But he completely, in order to make those management practices get exposure, he kind of left uh, finance in the dark. And I'll share this one quote, if you wouldn't mind. As I worked on my article, I went back in time and I, I read uh, Drucker's uh, biography. And what does he say about Donaldson Brown, who, of course, is the CFO who invites him in? And again, Sloan wouldn't object. That was not his nature. Sloan was inclusive, to, especially to his management teams. He was collaborative. So if his CFO said, hey, I think this is a good idea, Sloan's going to say, OK, let him in. This is what he wrote about uh, Donaldson Brown. Yet, while he was universally admired throughout the company 
and known as a truly wise person, most managers wanted as little to do with him as possible. They simply could not understand a word that he was saying. Mm. He was dependent on the CEO to translate him. Not a very kind comment to make about the man who brought Trucker into GM. Yeah. Not a, not a kind. And it actually helped you launch the management profession if you want to take it that far. I'm generalizing. I'm a bit too blunt, but there's a grain of truth here because every management book that came forth in the 60s and the 70s, they really ignored uh, finance in a large degree. And that's not me saying that. I was uh, got the opportunity to interview Jeremy Hope uh, in a, you know, 15 years ago before he passed, uh, Jeremy came out with a book called Reinventing the CFO. I asked him about Drucker and he mentioned that Drucker routinely, routinely turned a blind eye on finance because he wanted just to focus on the human society. So I probably told you more than you need to know, but I call that the Drucker curse. And again, for 50 years, a lot of the management texts out there ignored the marriage of um, management practices and finance. And I think it's it's important to point that out. Only lately have we begun to have some management texts that really understand that marriage. Sloan understood it and didn't like concept of the corporation in part because of that. So is the curse then that CFOs and finance people have a lot of ground to recover because they kind of got sidelined? Or something else. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they got ignored. They have gotten ignored as to the role that, you know, the vital role that they play inside organizations today. And they've been sidelined from the conversation, the bigger conversation of how corporations and organizations work. Uh, and again, it's it's sort of this marriage of financial measures and incentives and targets that uh, are really behind uh, the inner workings of business as we know it. And yet you seldom, if you go to you know some of these management texts that I've already mentioned, and, and if you look at what Peter Drucker, Peter Drucker was, was, was saying something that hadn't been said before. So it really captured everybody's imagination that a business was a human community. People didn't think that way. So that was quite attractive and quite alluring, but he he ignored the fact that there was someone marching in step all along the way beside Sloan, the CFO, and the accounting team who were creating the incentives, measuring what worked and what didn't as they managed these teams of executives around the globe. Uh, and that is a huge part. And in fact, if you, Sloan goes on to write a book, My Years at General Motors. And in part, it's he's trying to correct some of what was ignored. In fact, you'll find a chapter dedicated to uh, financial measures and it's towards the front of the book. And I think it's something like uh, concept of the organization. And I think that's, I think that's what it's called. Um, and it has everything to do with his CFO and the financial measures that they worked out together to help manage the company. Gotcha. So in part, it explains why CFOs and accounting teams sometimes feel like they have a hard time getting through and being part of the conversation because for so long they were shut out or ignored. And, and they have been in a good deal of the fault leadership that was put forth over the over 50 years because everyone read Drucker and everyone was influenced and everyone wanted to go 
and, and sort of springboard off of his ideas. Now, there was another great uh, book just to come up into the 1990s. Relevance Lost is, a, is an excellent book. It was, a, again, a little more marrying strategy and finance. But before that book, as far as I'm concerned, it's debated. Uh, there wasn't a marriage of finance and uh, business practices or management practices uh, or a book that really zeroed in on it. <laughs> Which is really wild to think about, <laughs> given that businesses run on cash. Uh, no, it's, it's, but, okay. it's quite, quite, quite interesting. And yes, so that's the Drucker curse. Finance has been ignored. This marriage of finance to the rest of the organization has largely been ignored. And CPAs are being asked to do what Drucker didn't do, which is marry their skills, their knowledge to the the greater strategy of the organization. Drucker didn't do it in a lot. And I'm speaking in generalities, but that's part of the reason why there's a legacy there. You can call it a legacy. I call it a curse. (laughs) So I feel like no conversation for my listeners would be complete if we didn't talk about something that I notice. And I know a lot of my listeners notice, and I'm going to throw you something of a fast pitch. And it might come in high and inside, and I'm going to kill this baseball analogy watch. (laughs) My purpose isn't to scare you off the plate, but I don't want you to bunt because we're not going to learn anything if you do. So no diplomatic platitudes. The percentage of female CFOs is super low. And you see that reflected in the media. I see it reflected in podcast guests. You see it reflected wherever you look, right? This is the part, don't bunt because none, none of us are going to get any better if you do. What are women missing that they don't see? And it's a two-way street. What do men need to learn when it comes to balancing gender diversity and skin tone diversity, but we'll take one piece at a time, balancing out representation at the CFO level? Wow. Women like men, and again, they, got, they have to be careful not to be pigeonholed as non-strategic thinkers. Women like men have to do a better job of demonstrating that they are big picture strategic thinkers. Are they failing at a greater degree than men? I don't know, I have no science research before me. Uh, Interestingly, a lot of the women leaders that we do speak to uh, arrive in the C-suite late in life. Their kids are grown. Their uh, kids are through college. They are opening a robust chapter, uh, the most robust chapter of their career past their 40s. And they're, they're getting there. They had the skills to reinvent themselves and get to the next level. That's an observation from my interviews. Uh, uh, I'm trying to, I don't want to generalize broader. Uh, I think... Um, Uh, Again, they have to demonstrate that they're just not bookkeepers. Um, Are women guilty of this more than men? I doubt it. The numbers aren't there. So they're probably just as guilty. But let's face it, they have to fight unfair perceptions, uh, perhaps, to get uh, make themselves known as a strategic thinker. Uh, They have to be in the room to build those relationships. Where are those rooms? A lot of... uh, uh, finance conferences have uh, women leadership tracks, which I think are excellent and I think have served many uh, women finance executives well. And so I've been told um, there are uh, roundtables uh, for women finance executives as well. So there are, I, I've heard about these types of positive social 
environments where they can acquire the skills. Um, we know about Silicon Valley's special challenges in terms of getting more women uh, leaders on the board, uh, on boards. Uh, women CFOs, I believe, and, and some might tell us otherwise, but if you're a woman CFO today, in certain respects, you're an attractive candidate for board membership where you're, you're because there's so many out there now who understand this is a, a, a problem we need to resolve and we need someone who's demonstrated that they can get to the C-suite. I mean, I, I think it's a, it could be a positive time. There could be more board seats available to women CFOs than there have in the past. And I could be entirely wrong. Um, men, in terms of gender equality, uh, we just had a, a great interview with a, a CFO who his past two CEOs of relatively large firms were women. And I thought it was interesting because they sold them. And I was like, oh, and, and, and because he, he spoke highly of both of his CEOs. And it turns out they were both women. You know, that's that's kind of rare. I was like, oh, really? Both both at five year stints in each. Again, uh, men need to understand that uh, as they network and build their careers, uh, there are certain genuine qualities. I, I think um, when you go to events and connect with others, trust, loyalty, I, I think women have certain qualities that are, are generally known and written about in business that distinguishes them as leaders uh, when they become leaders. Uh, and that is instilling trust, which we all know is a uh, characteristic of finance leadership the ability to build and um, instill trust in others. So men leaders, I think, can learn a thing or two about how women, I think, are a few yards ahead of them when it comes to uh, instilling trust in business. And again, I don't have any research to turn to, uh, but uh, from our conversations and some of what I've learned. So as you acquire your contacts, whether they be recruiters, and other CFOs and other senior peers in finance, part of your network, uh, if you don't have women executives, men as part of your network, you're putting yourself at a severe disadvantage. Those are just some quick thoughts off the top of my head, as you said. And if I said anything uh, out of sorts, I apologize. Not sure. <laughs> but you put me on the spot, as you said you would. Gerald. I did. I, yeah. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I very much put you on the spot, and I appreciate that you took a solid swing at that. So good job. <laughs> that on was the a swing. Grounder yeah. to center field. Yeah. <laughs> so, and genuinely, I appreciate it because it's a delicate topic and a tough nut to crack, and with no clear and easy answer. No, and I guess the two points I made. I think women CFOs are a great position today to perhaps. Uh, get more board, board positions coming their way. Now, uh, I could be, I can hear it already. Jack, that's just not the case, however. But it seems to me that um, they're well positioned. Um, and as for the men, yes, it, uh, as they build their networking uh, circles, who they're networking with, if you don't have women leaders as part of your networking circles, whatever that constitutes that circles, and many of them are informal. It's always people you catch up with uh, just for lunch, or a cup of coffee one day. Uh, again, you need to begin thinking differently. Yeah, yeah. It says something if there's an absence of women in your casual network or informal network. 
Let's leave our listeners with something tangible that they can start with. Because we've flown our plane around in the in the clouds and talked theoretically about emotional intelligence and being a great storyteller and so on. You know, I, I've got I've got three three items, and again, this is about storytelling, so it's not specific. But I was going to say maybe I could leave them with three items about storytelling. As you tell stories, what engages people? And these are things I've learned along the way. Yeah, that's a perfect that's a perfect place for us to wrap up. Go ahead. Okay. So similar to, again, I guess the story I shared about Carol Lowe, small things are what might seem like experiences of little consequence often have a profound impact on you and other professionals. You remember them for a reason. Share a small thing. It doesn't have to be a big accomplishment. And again, I, I, my next point is, is uh, to that. It's never good to cast yourself as a hero. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like bragging, right? It's very difficult to do. So you need to understand how to tell a story where you're not, you know, the champion. Um, and again, this com- comes back to that uh, EQ, as you were talking about, emotional intelligence. How do you, how do you share things matters? And um, people are what experiences stick in our minds or why, what make experiences stick in our minds. Tell us about them. Um, and again, when you share a story about an individual who influenced you one way or another, it doesn't have to be a famous individual, but already you're giving credit to someone else and it speaks to your character. So again, people are what make experiences stick in our minds. Tell us about them. I love this. Thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. Jack Sweeney, thank you for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Geraldine, it was a pleasure. Thank you. There was so much great stuff in this episode, but if I had to pick one thing, it would be that a stepping stone into the CFO roles requires more emotional intelligence than it does technical intelligence. If you want to transition your role from CPA to more fractional CFO and you're wondering where to start, one simple step is to put 20 minutes on my calendar and we can talk about where you want to take your career and your business. You can find the link to schedule in the show notes of any episode. If you want more information about the work I do, you can find it at my website, shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.